Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me today is Pastor Daniel Sutton, missionary to Nicaragua. Daniel, how are you doing today? Awesome. Better than I deserve. Good. Good to hear. So you and your family are going down to Nicaragua. Yes, sir. You are married. uh, Your wife, Heather, your oldest son, Jackson, your second is a daughter, Adeline, mm-hmm. yep. and your third is a daughter, Kinsley. Kinsley okay, yes, great. And uh, you came to our church last night, and you brought us a message, and you presented the work that you're doing, and we loved that. We had a problem with the audio. Oh, no. It didn't work. <laughs> I know. We have no idea what the problem was. Um, so, anyway. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> but either way, you sounded like a robot, like you were, like you were you know, uh, in a hostage negotiation, trying to hide your voice. So (laughs) anyway, so this is the first time people are going to get to, you know, really hear from you and get to know you. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, where you're going, how'd you pick Nicaragua, and uh, when you're going to be heading down there. Okay. So yeah, um, it was during my years of Bible college that the Lord first uh, brought Nicaragua to my mind, to my attention. Um, I was sharing last night, just began to pray about Nicaragua. I'd already surrendered to God's will for my life. I'd surrendered to preach, surrendered to missions. And then as I prayed about Nicaragua, the Lord just used uh, His Word, really in Acts 16, to get me to the place of surrendering to Nicaragua. Um, uh, we, Our desires as we go down there is, uh, you know, church planning missions. And so uh, going into places where there's nobody preaching the gospel, going into towns and areas. Um, I mean, I could think of towns right now of over 60,000 people with no gospel preaching witness. You know, not just, I'm not just talking about like independent fundamental churches. I'm talking about nobody preaching the gospel whatsoever. And so our desire is to go into those areas to see churches planted, to become indigenous, and then uh, to go and to do it again somewhere else. And so God has called us for the last eight years. We've been in Fresno, California. After Bible college, we served there on staff for, for eight years, working with the teens and doing just about every ministry there uh, that we had opportunity to do. And then uh, from that, the Lord has now transitioned us into deputation ministry. Been on the road for a little over a year. May would have made a year full-time on the road, um, living in an 18-foot trailer with uh, three kids. <laughs> and uh, now we're at around 95%. And so we're excited. Got our tickets purchased for January 17th. We'll be heading down for language school. Yes, sir. So you guys all have your passports. You're all done with that. Is Nicaragua a difficult country to get into? Um, not currently, but that could change very easily. Just a very unstable government unstable economy but initially well actually a few months ago is when we applied for all of our past uh, passports and so mm-hmm. all the kids we all have current uh, up-to-date passports and so this month or next month we'll actually be applying for our visas to first we'll be applying for honduras a student visa which is where we'll be doing language school and so um for honduras will be a very simple process we already have contact with an attorney down there we'll be applying for student visas for one year uh, while we're in language school, and then we'll be able to apply for our Nicaraguan visas right there from Honduras. And um, <clears throat> I'm looking up Honduras currently because I want to know, okay, great, just to the north. That's yeah. what I was assuming. That's what I thought. But okay, so um, getting into Honduras, getting the right visa. Now, when you go to Honduras, my understanding is you will not be allowed to work any kind of mm-hmm. job down there. Is that in Honduras and Nicaragua? Um, I know for sure Nicaragua, I'm assuming the same would be true of Honduras, um, but we'll be under a student visa. Mm -hmm. And so we will be fully, obviously, we're already going to be at 100% support, be fully funded by our supporting churches. Um, And then during that year, uh, we'll be living in the town of Don Lee, which is only about 30 minutes north of Nicaragua. And so uh, we'll be able to travel down whenever we we need to or would like to begin doing uh, works even down there in Nicaragua, even while we're doing language studies. And so um, it's a it's a great opportunity. It's God's really worked in getting that set up. We'll be one of the first students to actually go through that language school. So oh, exciting. Yeah. Okay. Now, are there any churches that you have contact with in Nicaragua? Yeah. We have so we have some missionary friends who are in the city of Leon, which is the second largest city. They've had a church there for about six years now, and even out of that church, they have planted uh, at least one other one in the town of Chichigalpa. 
and then uh, we have contacted with several national pastors actually in Nicaragua as well, mm -hmm. uh, just through social media uh, that we've come in contact with. My wife is in contact with some other American missionaries um, in some of the other towns. And so, yeah, we have several contacts already the Lord has allowed us to make in Nicaragua, yes, sir. That's great. Yeah. I mean, knowing anyone, mm -hmm. you know, moving to another country is helpful. And then the school that you're going to start out at with language school, that is how far from the border? So from the border, it's only about 30 to 45 minutes, depending on the roads yeah. and the you know weather and things. Uh, and then from some of the towns, so one of the towns that we're seriously praying about is uh, the main town would be Esteli, and then about maybe 30 minutes north of that is the town of Ocotal, which is mm -hmm. about 60,000 people. And uh, that from Don Lee, Honduras to Ocotal, Nicaragua is an hour and 10 minutes. And so uh, really is, is nothing in comparison. Yeah. We're talking about traveling in a third world country. Oh yeah. An hour is, you're, you're gonna have to travel more than an hour normally to get to anywhere. And sure. So, um, yes, sir. Yep. Not, not too far at all. We'll be able to begin, you know, even doing some soul winning and outreach in that town, even while we're still doing language studies. Okay. So what is it like living in a camper for a year with three kids? <laughs> um, it's interesting to say the least, uh, yeah. you know, we, we started out well, when we started deputation we only had two kids um, okay and so we started may of last year full-time so wait uh, that's even worse that means your wife had to be pregnant yeah. living out of a car yeah that poor woman yeah. <laughs> she's she's a trooper that's for sure um i wouldn't wouldn't be able to do any of this without her she's been such a blessing and just her spirit and her attitude towards it all um there was times where just you know it would have been so easy for her to just say you know what i'm not doing this anymore, sure you know uh but god is and no one would have blamed her and, yeah yeah i mean i wouldn't have, that's for sure there were times where i was done i didn't want to do this anymore um and praise the lord it's only been you know relatively short period of time in comparison to uh you know other fields and getting to different places you know sometimes it takes a little bit longer to raise your support um but yeah i mean we we stayed in a lot of campgrounds we tried to keep mm -hmm. it consistent we just we try to have a good time with it you know we have fun with our kids we try mm -hmm. to go out and do stuff not just stay cooped up you know it's yeah. 18 foot so you really couldn't stay <laughs> in the camper anyway yeah we pretty much just slept in there and then just did as much as we could outside and try to find things to do and places to go but uh definitely interesting trying to you know even just simple things like we don't have you know laundry in there so uh, you know, moving to a third world country will actually be a, a step up from <laughs> oh, man. the camper. See, and I didn't even think about that as far as like, now that you're saying that I have not offered one missionary who's come to our church. Hey, do you want to do laundry at our house while you're yeah, here? Yeah. I literally didn't even think of that. Wow. I'm a terrible guy. You don't have to have quarters. For <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay. So you have been on deputation for less than a year now? Uh, 14 months, so a little over Oh, a year. about yeah. a year and a quarter. Mm -hmm. Okay, we, we talked about that before. And how far along are you? 95%. So okay. we already have our tickets purchased. We're, we're excited. We've got meetings scheduled. So right now we're making our way out to California. Mm -hmm. And we're headed out west in that direction. We'll have about three weeks with our sending church, just mm -hmm. spending time with people, church family, uh, have an opportunity to preach, have like a send-off service. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we have a meeting schedule, a conference in Texas, and then a conference up in Rhode Island. And, wow. Uh, yeah, so that's kind All of our way All across the country. Up. Oh, yeah. And uh, on our way kind of back up, and that's really our last, the Rhode Island meeting is like our last, like full-time, I would say full-time deputation meeting. Then we'll head down to Florida where we'll get all of our things together, start shipping things out. We still have some, a few meetings scheduled there, but we'll be based out of Florida for the last about two months of the year. Okay, we'll and, th and then you're heading um, down in January. Yes, sir. And Southern Hemisphere, so mm -hmm. um, that's going to be the end of their summer leading well, into still north their... Of the equator. Nicaragua is still north? Mm -hmm. How close is it to the equator? It's pretty close, It's uh, but Nicaragua is still north of the equator. So wow. seasons are similar, but it's very consistent weather year-round. So it's sure. usually not a whole lot of swings as far as, mm -hmm. you know, seasons go. Are there mountains? Or is there snow at Volcanoes. all? Volcanoes. No mountain, like not mountain, like traditional mountains necessarily, sure. but there are over 40 active volcanoes in Nicaragua. Wow. Yeah, so the mountains there are smoking. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're venting off the steam. So actually one thing that's really cool that I would love to try at one point um, is they have a thing called volcano surfing where they'll actually go to the, they'll take you on a, a, a charter up to the top of the volcano mm -hmm. and then you get these uh, special suits on, have this like, basically like, it's like sledding, mm -hmm. but it's on a volcano yeah. and volcanic rock and everything. So No kidding. So pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's a, an activity that people yeah, yeah, do people on purpose. To do. Yeah. Tourists come just to sure. just sled down a volcano. Might as well. <laughs> I don't think the nationals do it a whole lot, but. No kidding. <laughs> tourists do. Okay. So, <clears throat> 
you were talking about a church planting missionary. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners that might not know what you mean, okay, because some missionaries, their goal is they're going to go there, they're going to maybe work with a church for a year, you know, kind of get the lay of the Mm -hmm. land, and then they're going to go to another town that doesn't have a church that's preaching the gospel, and they're going to start one. So after that, so that's your first couple steps, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to find a town that needs a church that preaches the gospel, you're going to start a church. Okay, walk us through steps yeah. two, three, and four from there. The, so, hopefully yeah. this happens next. Now this is, yeah, this is completely just my thought, my sure. process, how's it going to work? Obviously, yep. God, God's, God's laughing right now, yeah, because exactly, okay, you know? he has a plan. Uh, in my mind, how <laughs> I see it working out is, you know, we're going to get language study done. We'll get to wherever we finally determine that God is specifically calling us to as far as location, city, mm-hmm. all that goes. Uh, my my desire would be even from the beginning to to possibly partner with a national who's already been saved and maybe mm-hmm. discipled and begin to work together so that as we begin to reach people they'll already see uh, a, a pastor you know mm-hmm. and, and it's not like you know my goal is not to be you know the great white savior going down being yeah. the American missionary and just mm-hmm. a, a lot of, some mission not, I wouldn't say a lot but some missionaries go down with the philosophy in a third world country you just throw money at everything and sure. you know and you there it is a crowd you know and there's yeah. there's a church uh but the problem with a lot that philosophy is that you can start a church quickly mm-hmm. and you can start a huge ministry and you will see people saved but then if you ever try to leave that ministry the ministry's done it, mm-hmm. it's over like a national can't come in and continue that on Got and it. so our desire is to see churches indigenous churches planted that will continue in the culture where they're planted. And mm-hmm. so uh, something that's sustainable in that, that culture, that environment, that economy. And then uh, from that point, you know, our, our my thought is that we'll go to another place and do the same thing again um, in another town, another area. Uh, there are opportunities on the eastern coast to go to smaller villages and towns that really have nothing as far as anything goes mm-hmm. as far as store, anything like that. Um, and maybe do some kind of like jungle ministry type village, uh, churches planting and things like that. Um, or, you know, there, there are missionaries who they stay in an area and they send out guys from that, that church. Yeah. I don't necessarily see that myself doing mm-hmm. that. Um, but if the Lord bleeds that way, uh, of course, that's what we'll do. Uh, but I see plant, getting that church planted, established, the national guy uh, being established as the pastor, and then partnering with somebody else, another national who have, feels like God's called him to, to plant a church, and then going over there and doing it again in another place, another town. Is there a reason you are leaning that way as opposed to sending out nationals to be pastors to different places and you stay in the same spot is there a um, i mean i don't know what the upside yeah, or downside of either would be i mean i i've talked with missionaries several times and um i've talked to missionaries who've done it both ways who, mm-hmm. who have stayed and have, have planted um i just that's just kind of in my mind how i see it playing out how mm-hmm. i just feel the lord's gifted me in the yeah. areas as far as um, I don't necessarily see myself as in staying in one place um, for, a, for a long time, as far as that goes. Um, one thing, though, that I do, I've, I've asked veteran missionaries, and I said, if there was one thing that you could do different, yeah. what would you do differently? Mm-hmm. And one of the, the main answers that I've gotten is that they said that if they could go back and do it again, they would start out with a national pastor who's already been saved and who's already been feeling like because there's people in nicaragua there's guys in nicaragua who may not have the resources yeah but god's called them to pastor god's called them to preach and so why not us come along partner together and be able to plant a church together Mm -hmm. and as people are getting saved that's already their pastor so so when the when the american missionary leaves it's not a huge drop off it's just they're continuing on the work that god's called them to do and uh, we've just come alongside partnered along and helped out and so that's kind of why i have that philosophy going into it just from my experience talking with veteran missionaries and asking sure. them what they would do differently if they could go back. It's a great question because really if we're not learning from our mistakes, then mm-hmm. you know we're missing a lot of wisdom that's available. So, yes, okay. Um, tell us a little bit about the nation of Nicaragua as far as, you know, uh, what's its government like? Mm-hmm. What's the level of stability? What's the economy? What, you know, I don't know much about yeah. a lot of Central American countries. I mean, let's face it, if if they didn't make a movie about it on Netflix, it's not <laughs> worth knowing about. So, you know, that's how much I know yeah. about Nicaragua. So most people, their experience of Nicaragua or their knowledge of Nicaragua goes back to the 70s and 80s, the Contra, the Sandinistas, yep. all that going on. And essentially, it's 
pretty much stuck in time. I mean, when mm. you think Nicaragua, it's and some of the Central American countries they like <clears throat> to argue over who's the poorest and who mm-hmm. needs the most, you know, assistance okay. or whatever. Uh, but most would agree that Nicaragua is the lower class of Central America. So really? you got Costa Rica to the south, who is more of the you know the tourist destination. Everybody goes to Costa Rica. They're more mm-hmm. most Costa Ricans look down on Nicaraguans, you know, coming across the border, taking mm-hmm. jobs, all that kind of um, you know things that go on. Uh, the president of Nicaragua, Daniel Ortega, has been the president for about twenty five years. Um, he was the leader of the Sandinistas when they came in and took control. Mm-hmm. Most Nicaraguans they love Americans in the sense of. The U.S. came in. They gave them help to overthrow the Somoza family, who was the dictatorship of that time. Um, but when it came to instituting an actual government, the U.S. pulled out, and then the Sandinistas just came in. They didn't have to fight a war. The U.S. fought the war for them. The Sandinistas came in, took control, and have been in power ever since. And so, uh, I mean, like this last election, they had several— okay, Real quick, yeah. are the elections— Free and fair? No, not at all. So, does anyone I, think they're free and fair? No, or, okay, it's not even like Got a it. question. Most, nope. most, the average, probably the average Nicaraguan really doesn't even necessarily care about politics. Mm-hmm. They just want to survive the next day. They Got it. Make, the average income is about two dollars a day. So they're they're literally working that day for what they're going to eat that night, and then wow. they got to go to work the next day, or they're not going to eat the next day. And mm-hmm. so for them, it's just about survival and just living their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, last the last election last November. The, the president instituted a law where you could be arrested and held for 90 days without any kind of trial, any kind of really mm-hmm. reason for being arrested. And so then three months before the elections, he started arresting all the other opponents. And so they were oh, sitting in wow. jail. They couldn't run for president. Okay, so, so there's there's political oh, prisoners. Yeah, yeah. It's out in the open. Yeah, it's no one's a, even... It's not really a secret. And what percentage of the country is living on two dollars a day and is not we don't care about politics we don't have time to care about this i would say i mean a vast majority so the average income is two dollars a day so you got to understand that's that's the average sure some that are far above that obviously yeah most of those would be government positions a lot of them have to be less than that so where do okay so here's the thing if the average income is two dollars a day where's the government getting its money to so most of the assistance that I mean, U.S., Europe, or other countries mm-hmm. would be sending to Nicaragua mm-hmm. never leaves the government. Like it stays up within Got the it. politicians, the government. It never so the gets people to never the people see that the aid. Help. You know, I mean, we were in a town. The name of the town was Tipitapa, right outside the capital, and literally the entire town mm-hmm. was established. They had a school, they had churches, they had their own even government inside that town. It was all established off of the dump of the capital city. So the capital city had their landfill basically uh-huh. where they were dumping all their trash. And a town was established because people were that had nothing, like literally nothing, yeah. less than nothing. Could go to the to trash dump and, to you know, be able try to, to survive. Find something to sell, find something to eat, find something, you know. And so be out of that, the town was established. Wow. There. I mean, we were there. We bought, um, I was sharing with brother, uh, one of the brothers in the church last night. We bought some ice cream for some of the kids, mm-hmm. and they literally didn't even know what ice cream was. In the sense, you know, Central America, it's hot. Sure. They're trying to, like, save it and take it home to their family, yeah. like, not knowing that if they don't it's, eat it right now, it's yeah, going to melt. Gonna melt. You know, just, yeah. just something that we wouldn't even, you know, ice cream is, like, nothing to us. You sure. Know, somebody who grew up in the U.S., yeah. but to them it was nothing they'd ever even experienced before. So it's just uh, it's a very, very different world. Okay. So, I mean, obviously countries like that, you know, they need the gospel. Everyone in the world needs the gospel, mm-hmm. but boy, that country sounds like it's really going to be stuck if the corruption doesn't get mm-hmm. weeded out. You know, they're not going to have things that we take for granted, like yeah. roads and sanitation and electricity and, you know, all of those things. Now, um, and that's always sad because, you know, on the one hand, those things make it easier because people can live longer you can travel on the roads and get the gospel to people there's more security you know Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time we've seen the other side of it like america where we have everything we want and nobody cares less about the bible or or god so boy that's tough um you were talking last night you mentioned that there is actually a native population that Mm -hmm. lives in the jungle that is completely off the grid and doesn't have I don't know what you'd say, but doesn't have what we would call a, a civilized mm-hmm. life as far as medicine or education or sanitation or utilities or anything like that. 
Yeah. Tell us about them. So That's I, always interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know a lot about them. I know for sure that they are uh, a dying breed in the sense of their their population is growing fewer and fewer. Um, but they're called the Mosquito Indians. They're mm-hmm. indigenous to Nicaragua. You know, what you would think of as a uh, a village tribe in the rainforest yeah. is essentially exactly what, what they are. What we've seen in National yeah. Geographic. Exactly. You know, and that, so, okay. Uh, and a lot of the, because of the exposure now and the technology now, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the, the younger generation of the Mosquito Indians are leaving, moving into... Into towns and areas, cities. Towns and okay. Cities. And so that's a big reason why their population is dwindling. And then just because of, you know... Uh, the rainforest being cut down, different sure. reasons, all that plays into uh, their population dwindling for sure. But there definitely is. I, we had some friends that were missionaries, and they had works into some of the Mosquito Indians. Uh, they're no longer in Nicaragua now, but mm-hmm. um, they de- they had some uh, tribes that they were working with and some people in the jungles. And that was a big reason why they had to leave the country was because they were so secluded that when some of the civil unrest happened, they were forced to leave the country because, I mean, they, the guerrillas were literally tearing up the roads to where there was no in or out and wow. there was no way to get you know supplies or anything like that. So they were forced to leave. Mm-hmm. And so there definitely is that aspect of it. I mean, uh, such an unstable economy and, and government. I mean, you, you can be fine one day and the next day, you know, be hiding for your life because of some something that popped up and now all of a sudden there's riots in the streets and uh, you still have the gorillas who are behind the scenes most of the time, but when they see something, they're going to come out and, you know, attack the government or attack. So the gorillas are not in favor of Ortega or support of oh, the no, government. No. They are, pieces, a, yeah. okay, they are against him and mm-hmm. his people. Yeah. And they, are they the former government that Ortega overthrew? So, no, so formerly it was the Samosa family that was in, in control of Nicaragua, basically a dynasty. That, that family ran the country and so were they, they good the, for nicaragua uh no i mean okay they, not much a different version yeah, of exactly. ortega so okay when the when the sandinistas came in they came in under the guise of a, a far left you know democracy but essentially was supposed to be a democracy mm-hmm. which it never really has been as far as a true democracy and so it, they they basically came in to control and then now i mean ortega's the president his wife's the vice president it, it's just a, another family dynasty in 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 all reality. And so, you know, the guerrillas and most people, most U.S. citizens that were originally from Nicaragua that I've, I've spoken to, people that grew up in Nicaragua, from Nicaragua, mm-hmm. that have fled to the U.S., a lot of that was as a result of they were part of the Sandinistas. Mm-hmm. And then when they realized what the Sandinistas were really essentially all about, they had to flee for their lives because you can't be a Sandinista and then turn on the Sandinistas. Oh, Got it for your life. And so, wow. um, I mean, I've talked to guys who've been, you know, they were literally shot mm-hmm. uh, on their way trying to escape the country just for their lives because they had to leave everything behind families, everything just to try to survive and live because they tried to turn against the Sandinistas. And so other, anyone who could leave Nicaragua for a chance at a better life, I imagine would do it, but so much of the country is going to be held and bound there by the extreme, you know, Mm -hmm. poverty of the nation with no chance to, you know, really be able to get out. So most people that are going to be able to get out of that country are probably going to have some type of a tie to, you know, an industry or the government where there's enough money to something like that, or, you know, they were in some type of political position or something like that. And then it changed and they had to, or there are some of the, the ones that we have met as well are, uh, I know a, few, a couple of years ago you had the the caravans coming up through Central America um, and through Mexico up into the U.S. and mm-hmm. so just you know joining along with some of those caravans trying to get into the country, uh, you know. It, and I I agree that you know I don't want to get into the, the political side. No, of things, that's fine. But you know you see the you talk about the immigrants coming in and, mm-hmm. and obviously we would want immigrants to come in the legal way, the right way. Sure. But from a perspective of somebody in a third world country where it's either. I go into this country illegally or I'm going to be shot. My family's yeah. going to be killed. There's no um, choice. You know, like yeah. to them, it's not because we look at our, we look at our government in, in general, we look mm-hmm. at our government and our police as those who have our best interests in mind 
in a general sense. Okay, I want to go on the record <laughs> saying that I don't believe that, but I understand what you mean. Most yeah, Americans yeah, think yeah. that. In, okay. In general, maybe in the last, you know, maybe not so much in the last recent years, but in the past, that's been the general. Sure. The, the foundation. The idealistic the US, view the, is yeah, that okay. yes, okay. But that's not the case in third world countries I mean, at all. It's not the case. I mean, a police officer is, is somebody that's completely corrupt completely mm-hmm. you know don't have anyone's best interest in mind other you than you get themselves. that position yeah. for the purpose mm-hmm. of exploiting others yeah, and and, that's- and and i've only been to mexico i have not been any further south but i can tell you that the corruption you're talking about is exactly yeah. what i encountered there it just sounds and worse in yourself, Nicaragua. and put yourself in the position of that's how you were raised um, knowing that and knowing mm-hmm. that police are only trying to get what they can out of you the government's only trying to yeah. you know hurt you they have, do not have your best interest in mind i mean Coming coming into the U.S., you're still going to have that mentality towards government, towards authority. police, towards yeah. authority, um, and so it, it is different when you begin to consider the the mindset of you know fleeing for your life. I mean, put yourself in that position of uh, your family is going to be tortured and killed, or mm-hmm. you try to legally get into another country just to survive for your survival. It comes down to the basic instinct of survival. I mean, it's no choice. You know, yeah, it's, it's not a it's not a hard decision. So how do you feel, and you've been to Nicaragua, mm-hmm. okay, your wife has been down there, how do you feel people are as far as um, being open to and receiving the gospel? What's your experience been so far? So as we were there, and uh, as we began to share the gospel, I've had opportunities to lead through, the first time was through a translator, the um, people to the Lord. Uh, most people that we talk to, as you begin to go down the street, you know, you're handing out tracks. Everybody's very receptive. If it's free, they're going to take it. So, okay. you know, you're handing somebody a track, they're going to take it and they're going to read it. They're going to sit there. Most of the time they would stop everything else they were doing. They would sit there and they would read that, that track. Wow. Um, and if it has a clear presentation of the gospel, at least, you know, you, at least you have that, that they've mm-hmm. gotten the gospel, they've, they've read it. The issue that is there primarily is that being a Catholic nation, 75% mm-hmm. Catholicism, uh, you you have a general consensus that everybody already believes in God. Everybody yep. already believes the Bible. And so when you come in, if you come in with a mentality like, oh, I'm just going to get as many people as I can to say this prayer to get to heaven, yeah. you know, you might not believe in that, that prayer of salvation, but if you don't clearly explain the gospel, mm-hmm. you could be getting people to say a prayer but they're not trusting christ yeah uh, because being raised as a, as a catholic they don't have a problem with yeah. everything you're talking yeah, about exactly. they have no problem mm-hmm. with jesus no issue with him on the cross yeah but we're good that with prayer all that is just adding another thing to the list of things they're already doing in order to earn heaven yes instead of turning from everything that they've already trusted in mm-hmm. and trusting solely in christ yeah the idea of getting somebody who is lost who is a catholic to understand salvation doesn't just come by receiving jesus but also rejecting the works mm-hmm. that you thought was what got you to heaven mm-hmm. in the first place yeah and that's what's not easy for someone whose whole life they've been catholic because yeah. that's all they're Repentance ever used to god and faith towards our lord jesus christ mm-hmm. and getting that you know that truth down so you know missionary you, you could go down and you could you know, you could you could send back letters to the saints and say, "Oh, we've had hundreds this of many, conversions and, and all this, this many stuff. baptisms." And, but the problem with a lot of Central American countries is the the follow through and the discipleship because sure. it's they were never necessarily truly trusting Christ. They mm-hmm. were adding that on, and so then the discipleship just ends up being a disaster. And then you lose them. You never see the the growth, and you never see the follow through, uh, just because um, the conversion wasn't you know true conversion. Yeah, it was almost easier in the dark ages in Europe when it was against the law and a capital crime for a Catholic to be (laughs) baptized. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, okay, I know (laughs) that I am making a serious decision here. Whereas nowadays, it's easy to get that mixed up. And some of it is on the fault of us as Christians and as missionaries and not laboring in the gospel like paul Mm -hmm. says you know you know he says he he labored in the gospel a lot of times we just especially if we've grown up in church we've been around a long time we know all the words we just kind of go through the motions and we say you know you you talk to somebody who's never really heard a clear presentation of the gospel it's not 
fair to necessarily just assume that they're going to receive it on the first time. Yeah. You know, the first time they hear it. Yeah. You know, it's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit, not our work of convincing them. Yeah. And that makes sense. And any pastor here in America should be able to agree with that and say the same thing. We've all had folks where we've had, you know, any biblical truth, including the gospel and uh, Jesus and salvation, um, sometimes takes several times before, oh, the light bulb you know, yeah. it clicks, the light bulb turns on, and they're like, oh, I get it. Okay, I am lost, and I need that. Yeah. Okay, so um, how are Spanish lessons going? So currently, we're uh, I'm doing, like, I use an app on my phone yeah. called Duolingo. I sure. use that, and uh, uh, trying to keep my streak going on there. I'm at, mm-hmm. like, 40 days right now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's one of those things, like, you get a, a good track, and then something happens. But mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I took Spanish in high school. We mm-hmm. lived in Fresno, California. Yeah. I mean, most of our neighbors really spoke, spoke Spanish, very little English. Oh, okay. So, Even better. Yeah, you yeah. were immersed so a little very, bit. Very, very much so. And so, uh, that's definitely helped, you know, even working in the secular field, secular world, and even in soul winning, we'd be out on the streets witnessing people and come across people that didn't speak English. And so yeah. getting to use some of that Spanish. So that's helped. Uh, but definitely going to need that full year in Honduras, being oh, immersed yeah. in the culture, immersed in the language. Um, it, it's one thing to have a conversational understanding of Spanish, be able mm-hmm. to survive on the street. Yeah. It's a completely other thing, being able to clearly share the gospel and mm-hmm. clearly preach the word of God. Uh, you really have to understand a language and be, you know, just like in English, you know, in, in preaching the Bible and understanding the Bible is you should have a good grasp of the English language and absolutely, you know, grammar and all those things. And so mm-hmm. that's going to be a big part of it. Okay. Have your kids started learning it yet? A little bit. Yeah. We have like little flashcards and stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll teach them the different words and, and we go through those things. And so that's one thing we're excited about with that language school we're going to as well is that they have a, so we're going to be in classes four hours a day and then we'll have a, uh, while the kids are in there, daycare it's not just going to be they're not just watching our kids they're actually going to be doing things with them teaching them as well okay so and we've heard obviously haven't experienced it yet but everybody says your kids are going to pick it up oh yeah quickly so easily and so so my family we moved to europe when i was a kid in like kindergarten and my sister was you know in first grade or whatever and my dad we moved over there because he got a job over there working with citibank and i picked up French fluently and enough German to get around. I never went to school or anything, just being around. And my sister was the same way, just bing. It's like they just woke up one day and knew it, you know. (laughs) And your youngest daughter is going to, I mean, just grow up better than everyone else. And it's it's comical because when my mom would go grocery shopping, she'd have the two of us in Mm -hmm. tow. And uh, she would run into someone who... I mean, didn't speak English, you know, because we lived in Belgium and they would speak French to her and she would pick up a word or two and she'd look at my sister who was like, you know, five and she'd say, Katie, what did he say? And she would be the translator, the five-year-old, you know, (laughs) without any lessons again. So it's going to be fun to watch your kids do that. You know, you're not even going to have to try. They're Mm -hmm. just going to get it. It's, you know, it's going to be amazing. Does your wife speak any Spanish? Um, other than just the very basic, you know, mm-hmm. very, very basic rudimentary Spanish words, you know, the numbers, stuff sure. like that, hello. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, we're definitely going to be uh, hitting it hard in language school for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, the last guy to sit in your seat is a missionary that was in China for so many years. Mm-hmm. And now him and his family are going to the Philippines. Oh, wow. And I was like, wait a minute. So you speak Chinese? He's like, oh, yeah, fluently. Why are you going anywhere, you know? But of course China it's an issue yeah, of yeah. how open it is, you know, so it's not like you have oh, yeah, a choice. Lord, I have to learn Chinese. Oh, my soul, could you imagine? I mean, at least in Spanish the alphabet's similar. It's basically <laughs> the same, you know, alphabet and things yep. like that. There's a lot similar you can fumble through. Syntax and yep. grammar, yeah, so. <laughs> okay. So, um where are you off to after here? You're in Western Colorado. You're going, you said you're going to Utah We're next? We're going to be going through Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be in Utah on Sunday through about Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we go to Bakersfield, California, one of our uh, supporting churches down there. We're going to stop. It was actually the very first church to ever take us on. Um, and our very, the, the church that does all of our prayer cards, does mm-hmm. all that. It's a very, uh, very close church, dear to our hearts. And we're going to be visiting them. And then we'll be in Fresno for about three weeks while we just spend time with our church family. And then we're going to head back, well, 
towards not really towards Florida, but mm-hmm. Texas, Rhode Island, then Florida. <laughs> okay. So and that'll wrap it up, up, and you'll be in Florida then that until January. That will wrap January. up the full time on the road. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. We'll still have meetings that we'll just kind of base out of Florida while we go around while we finish up this year, mm-hmm. and then we'll just be serving in uh, my home church where I grew up there mm-hmm. in Florida. Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, How many up. more churches do you need to have take you on? Uh, at about ninety five percent, that would be about four or five churches, you know, it's always good to have a little bit of a buffer, you know, sure. even going over a little bit over a hundred percent. So it basically about four or five churches okay. would put us right at a hundred, depending on the amount, you know, every church oh, level yeah. is different. And yeah. So. Well, well, let me ask you this. What do you find to be the average amount that churches take you on for now? 75 to a hundred. Okay. So we have some, I mean, our, our lowest one and, and we'll praise the Lord for any, any support we get. Obviously. Just as a, a general idea, uh, one of our, our lower support levels would be about $25 a month mm-hmm. up to, we have a church that supports us for $250 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, our sending church is $500 a month. So, I mean, sure. you just have a, a, a very wide variety and range, but on average about 75 to a hundred, I would say. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, tell us about, have you been to any missions conferences? Have they been a help? What have they been like? Um, they're a lot of work. I'll put it that way. Okay. Depending on the church. Now, some missions conference, and I know churches, they have a heart to be a blessing to the missionaries. And, and obviously we appreciate that. We have a heart to be a blessing to them. Um, but it is a lot when you're, you know, your family, because a church, you think about a church and their missions conference and they, they have a, a week of missions conference or, you know, a few days, whatever. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, the church family is worn out. They're tired. They're all that. Well, you do that and you're done. And mm-hmm. then the missionary family, they just go to the next church and oh, they yeah. do it all over again. And so it is a lot on you. It's a lot on your family, especially when you're, uh, you know, you're preaching in every, you know, typically we're, we're preaching, you know, every way, every service yeah. when a missionary is coming in. Um, and so missions conference, I love missions conferences, um, but th- there's pros and cons. We, we have a lot of missions conferences and we have a lot of like Sunday meetings or, mm-hmm. or a one day, a one day service. And uh, I would say the biggest difference between the two is that in a conference, you get to know the church family better. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a conference, you're there with several other missionaries. So you normally don't get the one-on-one time with the pastor, but you do get to know the church family very well as they come by your table. You get yeah. to make relationships with people. And then in a one-day meeting, you normally get a better relationship with the pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the only missionary there normally. You're spending one-on-one time with a pastor. You might not meet quite as many of the people coming through just because, you know, not everybody might be there at that service or whatever, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, so there, there's pros and cons of both. Um, but we've had a good combination, I would say, of conferences and, and one-day meetings. Okay. So, uh, Is this the first home church you've been to? It is the first home church in the truest sense of being a home church. Okay. But we have been in another church that was meeting in a house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you could technically say it was a home church, but it wasn't really a home. The house that just, someone lived in. Yeah, it wasn't the house that someone yeah. lived in. It was a house that they had repurposed for the church building, but nobody lived full-time in that house. And so this is our first, I would say, true home church. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I so the uh, the... One of the the missionary that I was talking to you about before that was in China, um, Brother Williams, mm-hmm. uh, he thought it was hysterical because he's like, Patrick, this is all we did over mm-hmm. in China. And yeah. I talked to a lot of missionaries who, you know, every, every missionary has been to the country they're going to at least once. Some have been a few times or spent significant time there. And most missionaries have no issue with a home church. They're like, yeah, this is pretty normal. Like we don't all have a big building we can fit people in. That's nice when we can, but a lot of times we meet in people's homes. But when you talk to people in America and you say home church, they, oh yeah, they just (laughs) get you like you're a weirdo. Well, it's funny. I was actually talking to one of my good friends. That's actually our pastor we worked under for a while. And uh, he was, when I told him where we were headed next, yeah. him, you know, it was a home church, he was like, you know, that's funny. He's like, I really believe that if the U.S. continues on the, the path that it is, there's going to be a whole lot more churches that are going to have to move to that, yes. that style of pastors working a full-time job, mm-hmm. supporting themselves, and then just meeting in homes. And, you know, we yeah. don't, we, I mean, traditionally throughout the history of the church, I mean, how often has it been home churches, not established yeah. buildings necessarily, but yeah. Christians the- that were meeting, you know, Wherever they could, yeah. yeah. Really, the first roughly thousand years of church history, you know, there weren't big buildings Mm -hmm. because Christianity, to a large extent, in 
you know, starting in Israel and then moving around through what we presently know as Turkey and Greece and a lot of different places, um, you know, in the first generation, uh, Christianity was persecuted um, first by the Jews, then by the Romans, also by the pagans, you know, and then later on persecuted by other groups. So there was no such thing as a big church building and a sign on the road because it was kind of secretive. If you think the Church of Jerusalem, thousands of members, thousands of of church members. Yeah, where do you think they all went? They didn't all meet together in the same place. They didn't go to the convention (laughs) center that first day. (laughs) Especially with the persecution that was going on. You had exactly door to door. Yeah, you had the Jews literally arresting people, beating them in the streets, murdering them. So, Yeah. yeah, it didn't, it, that's not, you know, the way it worked out. So uh, I agree with um, your uh, pastor. I believe that the church started in homes, and I absolutely believe it's going to end up in homes again. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be kind of a natural cycle, and it's going to come back to the level of persecution that we're going to have. And we've already seen that. Oh, okay, yeah. We saw that in the last two years with COVID. Churches all over the country just flat were shut down. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say it, you know, unfortunately, a lot of pastors gave in Mm -hmm. and they just followed along. And there was nothing I enjoyed more than watching the pastors in different parts of the countries that stood up and they're like, I don't care. Go ahead and Mm -hmm. sue me. Chain the doors. I'll cut the chains. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. write me a ticket. Write me a ticket every day. I don't care. We're a church. You're not closing us down. (laughs) You know, the liquor store is open. We're going to be open. You know, so, but it was interesting if nothing else, it was, you know, maybe a taste of what is going to be coming, which is a harder and harder lockdown oh, yeah. on whatever the government decides and they want to do. We've just, in the U.S., we've just been so blessed to yeah. not have to experience that yep. to the level that, you know, we've never experienced the level that the church... That the rest of the faced, world, the rest and of the world, even, even today now, yeah, in some places, yeah. yeah. We, we have friends <laughs> who uh, are part of a work over in Belarus, mm-hmm. and he told me, he said, Patrick, if a pastor out there, you know, talks too vigorously against the government, he says, they don't chain the doors. You show up Sunday morning, and the church is gone. They put a bulldozer to it, yeah. and it's just gone, and the pastor's disappeared, and you never see him again. Yeah. You know, those things still happen in a lot of countries today, and, and and, you know, thank God that we're not there, but people don't understand that it's it's only a few bad... America is a few bad decisions away from being yeah, there, yeah. you know? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so <clears throat> how is... Um, oh, you know, we didn't get to really talk much about um, you and your wife and, mm-hmm. and, and your family. Uh, you are from Florida, Florida originally. Yeah. You said your wife is from Virginia. Virginia. Mm-hmm. And are you guys both from uh, bigger families? You got brothers and sisters? Um, not not large families. My wife, she has one older brother, uh-huh. and then uh, I have two younger sisters. And so okay. we both grew up, you know, Christian homes, mm-hmm. you know, families that love the Lord. Uh, we both went off to Bible college, not necessarily knowing for sure what God had called us to do, but just okay. open to... Uh, whatever the Lord wanted us to do. I know my wife definitely never thought she'd be a missionary's wife. <laughs> really? So yeah, that was yeah. not, it was not something she was something, thinking yeah, about. Yeah. I mean, like to the, to the degree, of, and I always kind of joke around my, my mother, me and my mother-in-law have a good relationship, but she, when she, Heather went to Bible college, she told her, she's like, you know, I want God's will for you. I want you mm-hmm. to, to marry whoever God has for you. As but... as not a <laughs> she's like, you better not marry a missionary. And so I do know it's hard for her, you know, seeing her, her only daughter, her youngest mm-hmm. daughter, uh, going off to, you know, a foreign country. Uh, but, uh, you know, we just, and, and I really believe it, it was amazing to me, you know, as sometimes as the, the husband, as the man, we kind of have this, we get, all right, this is what God's going to do. We're just going to go do it. Yeah. And, and that's true to a degree, but the timing of God is so important. Mm-hmm. And if we would have left, I, I, I am not afraid to say this. If we would have left for deputation for the mission field, you know, right out of Bible college within only a couple years of being married, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I believe that our, our ministry wouldn't have made it. And I, I, even to the degree of, I, I could say that it's possibly our marriage wouldn't have made it. It's hard. Just, uh, you know, with all the things that God did in our hearts and our lives and mm-hmm. grew us there in Fresno, I mean, we were... We were farther away from our families in California than we will be in Nicaragua. No <laughs> way. Wise, you know? <laughs> As the crow um, flies. And even the time change and the time difference. Um, and oh, just brother. being out there serving in ministry away mm-hmm. from our families and learning how to uh, minister as a couple, to be to be mm-hmm. one as God's called us to be, uh, was just huge. And, and in my mind, a new guy called us to Nicaragua, and it wasn't... Uh, 
any wisdom on my part. It was all God's leading our lives that God has kept us there in Fresno because if it would have been up to me, we would have been, you know, maybe two years there and then gone. But just, I couldn't get away from, I know this is where God's called us. And until mm-hmm. he moves us, I know he's called me to Fresno or to, to Nicaragua, but that's not where I'm at right now. I'm sure. in Fresno. I need a minister in Fresno. Like we we need a minister like we're staying here. Yeah, this is and our so life. we did. Focus. And uh, that's what we did. Never forgetting about Nicaragua, but it wasn't until our survey trip to Nicaragua that I saw the difference in my wife where... Up until that point, she was willing to go, if that's what God was calling us to do, but the excitement wasn't there, oh, the, sure. the burden wasn't there, the yeah. peace wasn't there, and until we went on our survey trip, it was rough. I mean, the first couple of days was just a, a lot of tears, a lot of crying, like, mm-hmm. is this really what God's calling us to do? And uh, But there was one night specifically, and I love when she gives her testimony, because it was, uh, she, she loves going to the beach. Mm-hmm. We had gotten uh, uh, the missionaries that took us to Pizza Hut, which... Side note: Pizza Hut in Nicaragua was <laughs> very times different. Better than no uh, way. Oh yeah, the in quality, the yeah. service, everything was better. Just because it's a it's a higher higher quality of job. It's a consistent yeah. job, it's a oh, stable okay. job. And so, if you work at Pizza Hut or McDonald's, that's yeah, a, that's a, it's good a big job. deal. Um, but anyway, we'd gone to the beach, we'd gotten to Pizza Hut, and we were there. And she had kind of gone off on her own, and I could tell that she was just you know talk, spending time with the Lord on her mm-hmm. own. And uh, that's when she says she she just basically how she says it. She says. I just asked the Lord, I said, do you got me, Lord? And he mm-hmm. says, I've got you. And uh, from that was when she just got the peace about going to Nicaragua. And it was a night and day difference from before yeah. of being, okay, willing to go, but mm-hmm. now being excited to go and being yeah. called to go and, you know, having that that burden to go. And so, um, you know, that's why I say if we would have gone too soon, you know, yes, God had called us to go, but the timing wasn't there yet. You know, timing of God is is, is everything is important. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was amazing to see that difference even in her life and in her heart. And because I, we couldn't have ministered the way that God wanted us to if we weren't doing it together. You yeah. Know? And we couldn't have had the influence, the impact, the uh, whatever, the ministry, if it hadn't have been both of us together on board in the same direction, the same page. So now... Uh, you told me, tell me if this is correct, but neither of you come from a home where your parents were in full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. So, uh, both of my, her family, her dad was in the, the air force. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked a, a contractor job for the air force for a long time, worked in safety, led the music at his church, you know, serving mm-hmm. the church. Uh, my dad worked at a, uh, he worked in distribution warehouse his entire life mm-hmm. and then uh, did the children's ministry. He's the children's pastor there, but not full-time as yeah. far as full-time ministry position. And the only reason I ask that is because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, the majority of, I'll say kids that attend Bible college, a lot of them come from a family where the mom and dad are in mm-hmm. full-time ministry. Yeah. So to see that that is unusual the only thing that's more unusual is to see a kid at bible college where they weren't even raised in a christian home their parents aren't saved Mm -hmm. that kind of thing you know which it does happen but it's just you know not as common not as common so Yeah. yeah that that's pretty significant you know uh did your family struggle with you getting called by god to be in full-time Christian service to be a ministry or to be a missionary. Was that hard in any way? Um, in the general sense of being a parent, but mm-hmm. not in the, not to the point of ever making an issue or a problem or anything at all. I mean, I think my parents, I would, my, my parents were of the mindset. They raised us very independently. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, by the time I was out of high school, I, I haven't lived at home since I was 18, finished high mm-hmm. school, went off to college, and then I haven't lived at home since. But I've always had a great relationship with my parents and um, talked to them all the time, literally today, you know. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, never to the point. I think they always, in their minds, knew, you know, they had a, at least a, at least they had that desire for their children to serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I think for them it was more of an exciting time when they felt God calling when they saw God calling me instead of, you know, a, a problem, it was more of a, you know, finally he surrendered. <laughs> uh, they'd been waiting for me to surrender. It was just me having to, you, you know, growing up in church, you have those expectations. You have those, uh, you know, I knew all the answers. I knew what to say. I knew what to, you know, I knew all that. And so I had to come to the point in my life where it wasn't my parents' walk with God, but it was my walk with the Lord. And so I think them, them seeing me through that transition of going from just being raised in church to now 
it being real to me uh, was exciting for them more than anything. Well, that's a big deal because um, I can tell you my wife and I are going through that now. You know, we have kids from 15 down to 7, and we've talked about that as far as what do our kids want to do. And, you know, we've had kids that have talked about wanting to be a pastor or be a missionary and those things. And I can tell you um, it is both exciting and, you know, I hate to say it, but as a, as a dad who works a full-time job to support his kids, you know, my thought immediately with my son wants to be a pastor is, Oh great. He's going to be poor for the rest of his life, you know? And realistically, it's, it's, it's funny because like when I worked in the secular world and I told people I'm going to be a pastor, they're like, Oh, you're just in it for the money. Like I'm from the secular <laughs> like, worldly position. Yeah. They see you and I'm like, do you know what, yeah, what church is? are you like, talking about, buddy? <laughs> but it's so, like, that's kind of the world's view is that like pastors are just like in it for the money they don't have to do any real work it's just you know yeah they golf all day and take a paycheck from the church members <laughs> yeah they clearly have never been to an independent yeah, baptist yeah. church i mean that's you know and i understand there are churches out there yeah, we both yeah, know that true. there are some churches that make lots of money and don't you know yeah. help their people come to god but that's exciting though like i don't believe that god would have no, that that doesn't. I'm not saying that God couldn't have called somebody, but what what I'm saying is that like the Lord used my exposure growing up to missions mm -hmm. to give me that desire, and then to ultimately call me. And, and I believe I, I don't believe that God's not calling. I mean, missionaries to this yeah. day. But as you look, there there's fewer and fewer that are going. Yep. And I do believe a part of that. Obviously, God's still calling. But I believe a part of the reason why people aren't surrendering is because the, the exposure is not what it used to be. You know, yeah. the push for missions, the the emphasis, you know, and all those things. And uh, the reason why I always loved missions was because I was in missions conferences. I saw yeah. missionaries coming in. I met missionaries. Got to go on missions trips growing mm -hmm. up. You know, and the Lord uses a lot of those things to, to call someone and to direct their lives. Uh, but if, you know, the, it's exciting that your kids have that desire is because they've been exposed to it. And, yeah. you know, and it's something that they're exposed to and they see and they... You know, they don't just see the negative side of it, but they see it as a positive. And that's cool. Yeah, in uh, in America now, I don't know if you've heard this statistic, and, and if you have and I'm wrong, please correct me, but the United States, I believe, has slipped down to number three in um, the number of missionaries mm. we send out. The we used to be number yeah. one for ever yeah. and now the philippines are actually number one mm -hmm. south korea is number two and the united states of america is number three wow. in the number of missions we send out which is sad especially yeah. since our population is so much larger than and those countries relatively supposedly christian nation, oh yeah we're you know, yeah, yeah you know but I, and i think it's just because pastors are not talking about missions enough mm -hmm. and how important it is and that it is a great calling you know from god <clears throat> And then you're going to have pa uh, parents who are going to discourage kids. Yeah. yeah, You know, that's going to be there because where they're going is dangerous or, you know, they're going to live in an area where they're going to yeah. be poor and, you know, we don't want you to be so far away. And I, I think those things go on, which is, yeah. you know, which and is sad. The Lord, the Lord used a lot of things in my life. I mean, I, I grew up in Florida, but I was actually born in Ohio when I was mm -hmm. 10. My family moved, left everything I knew growing up to age 10 down to Florida uh, we would travel a lot going back and forth. And so then going out to college in California, I mean, the Lord all throughout my life looking back has used a lot of those things. Like I didn't have like deep roots really anywhere. And mm -hmm. as far as like, you know, this is my home and, you know, even growing up in Florida, all my grandparents and stuff being up in Ohio, we weren't, didn't like, we didn't live next door to their grandparents where we saw them every day, you know? And so mm -hmm. just throughout my life, Lord has used a lot of things to, I think prepare me towards missions and um, not necessarily living right next door to my parents and my family. And, uh, you know, I definitely believe that God used a lot of those things in my life to get me into that, you know, to the place of surrender for sure. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. It just came to me when you are in Bible college. Mm -hmm. Okay. How old were you when you, when you went there, did you go right, right out, out of high, high school? school okay, yeah, so, so you went right out of high school, so you're 18, 19 years old, and you got, you know, three, four years of Bible college to go. And obviously, you know, at that age, you're a single man. One of the things you're going to do is you're going to meet a girl, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you meet someone that, you know, you can marry. When you decide that you're a missionary, 
does the potential pool of girls that are willing to go out on a date with you just shrink down to almost well, nothing? You know, because they're like, oh, I might have to go to the other side of the world with yeah, this guy. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I can't speak from experience on that because mm-hmm. I'll be honest and I'm not trying to be corny or cheesy, but sure, yeah. Heather really was like the first girl that I it was one of those things it's a funny story but like when i saw her i was like i she's that's the one that i want to i want to marry and yeah. so uh she was the one i pursued and, and to be honest there was a point and i don't think it was because of the missions mm-hmm. i think it was just because of me mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a point where she was like you know this isn't gonna work like we're never gonna be more than <laughs> friends like i just want you to know this like, oh. we'd gone on one pity date because she oh, thought no. i wasn't coming back to the college and so I didn't have the finances to come back. Uh-huh. And then, so she went on this date with me and then the Lord miraculously brought in the money. And so she's like, oh man. Now, oh no, you know, no. Now I'm coming. Now he's going to ask me to um, on a second and date. And I remember, <laughs> I remember, I remember the night she told me, she's like, it's never going to be more than friends. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my, I called my mom and I was like, what do I do? You know, my sure. mom, what do I do? Yeah. And it, cause I really liked her and I yeah. thought I loved her and I did, you know, without really realizing it. And, uh, the Lord, she just said, well, if she only wants to be friends then just be your best friend. And yeah. so that's what I did. Just kept being her friend and then, you know, eventually wore her down to, <laughs> uh, to marry me. But so I, I couldn't necessarily speak from experience as far as sure. I actually, I would say this in Bible college, there's probably more, at least now there's probably more girls that are on fire for the Lord, that love the Lord, that want yeah. to do something for the Lord. than there are guys that are serious about it. I don't doubt that. Um, and so you would have, you have girls who would love more, more than anything to, to find, find a guy, a guy that that's serious and field, that would yeah. take them to, to serve the Lord. And so that's why you have single lady missionaries because yeah. they didn't find that in Bible college and mm-hmm. because there was too many guys that were just goofing off and weren't there for the right reasons. Yeah. And uh, so they just went themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I would say, I, I, w- I don't think that would necessarily be true. I think maybe it depend on where you're at when you're there sure maybe, but from my experience i can't i can't speak to that, that. wasn't the case <laughs> yeah it was easy for you yeah, god yeah. showed you the one and you didn't yeah. have to waste time yeah yeah i didn't i didn't she was the only one i dated in bible college that's so, great yeah boy it's nice when now, it works I out the like only that she dated but uh, i was sure <laughs> but she was the only one that i was was ever seriously interested in now know? were you guys the same uh year the same age no, was one ahead of the other i was ahead of her by one year okay which is what it was awesome because that's what the Lord used to get us to Fresno. Mm-hmm. She had one more year at the Bible college. I just graduated. And we didn't want married. to go back to Florida. Well, we, <laughs> Oh, you got we, married we got right married. after. Yeah, okay, we got so. married right after I graduated. So she still had a year left as uh-huh. a married student. And Wait, wait, wait. How many of those situations does the girl just, oh, nah, oh, I'm oh, done. We're, we're married. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, we know what we're doing. And I told her dad, I was like, I have no desire to, like her parents had paid for schooling. Like yeah. I wasn't going to just come in and, you know, yeah. all right, you're done. And so we, we committed, like, we're going to finish, we're going to mm-hmm. get married, but we're going to finish, you're going to finish school. And uh, she wanted to, she actually graduated pregnant. So mm-hmm. Jackson's already got a college degree. He walked his age. <laughs> he had a diploma, uh, in the womb. But, um, yeah. you know, we, I had a year where I was like, I don't, I just graduated Bible college. I'm not just going to work this secular job and not do anything. And sure. so I went and found a professor and I said, is there a ministry that we could help? You know, yeah. you know, Lancaster is great, but they had, they had, they oh, had they have help. an you know, army they, they of have, help. Yeah. They have so and many so I wanted college where kids. We could actually be a, a blessing to a yeah. church plant, something like that, mm-hmm. which is how we got connected to Fresno. <laughs> he actually, the first question he asked me is like, do you have a car? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Yes, I have a car. Yes, he's like, okay, why? he's like, we have a piano player, uh-huh. but she has no way to get up to that church in Fresno. Could you just drive her up on Sundays? Mm-hmm. So we started driving up three hours every Sunday, uh, three hours back Sunday night. Wow. And I would go to work 5 a.m. Monday morning, you know, and we did that for nine months. Uh, it was a lot easier without any kids. Oh, <laughs> I know? could only imagine. Uh, but Heather was doing school full time. I was working full time. But every Sunday we drove up and the Lord just really knit our hearts um, to the people there, to the pastor there. And just, uh, so that after those nine months, I'd gotten counsel that, you know, work before you leave for the mission field. If you really feel God's calling you the mission field, work under a pastor first for sure. a period of time. And so we, we prayed about it. I didn't ask the pastor. I didn't say anything. We just prayed. And, uh, he called me one day and he said, uh, his actual words were, he's like, I can't pay you, mm-hmm. but would you be willing to move to Fresno before you leave for Nicaragua? for we didn't set a period of time but he just said and basically be the ultimate church member those are his exact words you know just be involved with everything serve sure you know all those things and uh uh i like i told you i explained earlier the long story how the lord provided a job up there we were Mm -hmm. going to transfer straight up there move there and then uh just 
do whatever we could in the church full time mm-hmm. as much as we could, and um, and that's that's where the Lord trained us. That's where the Lord, you know, Bible college was great, but nothing compared to serving in a church plant. You know, mm-hmm. in a in a place like California where you're dealing with first generation Christians, people who you know haven't grown up in church, weren't exposed oh, yeah. to church their entire lives, and so um, just it was uh, story after story of things that happened. I mean, it was a it was an amazing time. It was a hard time. Sure, hard but time you got sure. a lot of experience, oh, yeah. and and let's face it. When you go down to Honduras and you're learning Spanish, when you go to Nicaragua when you're starting a church, it's going to be hard work. Oh, yeah. There's not a missionary on earth that thinks that wherever they go, it's going to be easy. Yeah. It's hard starting a church in America. Yeah. I mean, the the ministry, nowhere in the Bible do we read about a great man of God that did anything yeah. that had it easy. Yeah. You know, I mean... You know, eh, maybe Joseph after he got out of jail, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, or maybe Daniel when he was, you know, ruler the of the world. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, or not being thrown to the lions, you know, but seriously, it, it, it's it's a lot of work. I mean, that's yeah. what we sign on for. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what ministry is. And We're that's what with Fresno taught us was like, you know, you have like a a fantasy of what ministry is in Bible college because you're yes. not fully immersed in it or exposed yep. to it. You're you're you, you see a. Uh, philosophy of ministry, mm-hmm. but then you actually get into ministry, and oh, it doesn't yeah. matter where you're at in the world. But I mean, California is its own other place, and yeah. being in ministry there, I mean, you just you see the best and you see the worst in people, and uh, and that's where the Lord taught us that ministry is people, and mm-hmm. that's what we learned there was just regardless of a lot of other things, if you just love the Lord and love people, um, yeah, you have to take stands in certain areas. You have mm-hmm. to stand up for the truth of God's word. But if you love people, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll listen. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll follow you. They'll love you. They'll, they'll love you back. And they'll, they'll listen to what you have to say if they know how much you love them. Yep. And, you know, the, so yeah, that's the truth. And people are people no matter where you go in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're all monsters. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Folks, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is, uh, if you go to BIMI.org, uh, you can search for Daniel Sutton and his family, and you can get information about them. We'll put a link to their um, website, which is Sutton's for... Sutton's to Nicaragua.com. Sutton's to Nicaragua.com. We'll put that up in the comments so everyone can go there, and you can uh, consider supporting this family that's going down to Nicaragua to preach the gospel. Uh, we appreciate you ha- uh, having you here, and thank yeah, you thank for coming you so and, for and us. preaching us at uh, preaching to us last night at the church. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do this more. Um, and once you get down to Nicaragua, hopefully your cell service will be good. You'll have a yeah, good yeah. internet connection, <laughs> and we can do this again remotely. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah sometime. Great. So uh, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, please uh, listen to us every uh, Sunday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central. Um, This is Bible Thumper, the Bible Thumper podcast where somebody's got to say it. Have a good night.